welcome to the Mompreneur Coach Podcast. I'm your host, and your Mompreneur Coach, Amanda Masterson. I'm teaching mompreneurs a revolutionary new way to build their businesses online. We're living in authenticity, ditching those hey girl messages, saying goodbye to that hustle culture, and building businesses rooted in balance and abundance. Oh, yeah, midday naps too. If you're ready to reignite your passion, make way more money than you ever thought possible, and still be totally present for all of the memories, all of the moments with your family, then girlfriend, you have found your home base. Let's redefine the online social selling space together. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Mompreneur Coach Podcast. I am Amanda. I am your host. And can I just say that raising tiny humans is hard, really hard. And normally I bring you business tips or business advice or mindset shifts that can really help you to grow not only in your business, but in life too. But today I want to shift a little bit and I just want to talk to you one-on-one mama because raising tiny humans is hard. So the other morning within the first 15 minutes that I was out of bed, Peyton came to me because Cash had broken the light in the office. Now, whether Cash did that or whether she did it, I'm still not sure. But either way, I fixed it and then headed back to the bathroom so I could brush my teeth. And then Caden walks in, bottom lip out, head down. I broke something, mommy, he says. Okay. So I picked him up, carried him to the living room, and he says, it's not in here. It's in the kitchen. And so we go to the kitchen and my pottery spoon rest is broken into pieces and my heart sunk. So let me tell you, I got this pottery piece on vacation in Gatlinburg a couple of years ago, and I love collecting pottery pieces like this when we go on vacation. And I especially love this piece because it matched my honey pot perfectly, but now it was laying in pieces on the counter. I asked him what happened and apparently... (laughs) The flour fell out of the cupboard onto it as he was trying to get the chocolate chips out of the cupboard for breakfast. So here we are in the kitchen. I'm holding Caden, and we are both just staring at this broken pottery piece. I wanted to cry. I wanted to yell. But this just felt like a moment, like a defining moment for both of us. And so we stood there. And then I sat him on the counter, and even though he refused to look at me, I explained to him where I got the pottery piece, and I also explained that Daddy and I would be visiting Gatlinburg again soon, and so I would be able to get another one. Now, inside, like, I knew there was no way I'm going to find another piece to match my honey jar perfectly, but I left that part out because I knew he was feeling a bucket load of shame and guilt and maybe even a little bit of fear. And that broke my heart more so than the broken pottery. And so I went on to tell him that I loved him. I reminded him that accidents happen, but I was happy he told me. I knew it was probably hard for him to tell me, but he was so brave to do so. I told him that he was more important than any pottery piece, and I told him that pottery could be replaced. A smile began to form on his face, even though he still wouldn't look at me. He gave me a big hug, jumped off the counter, and took off. It was a defining moment. Something inside of me tells me that that was a moment that he is going to remember. He's going to remember maybe the shame and the guilt, but more so, I know he's going to remember how I reacted. 
I spent the next hour or so just really being thankful that I reacted in the way that I did. I was thankful that I didn't yell because there was a time that I would have. And maybe if this would have happened the next day, my reaction would have been different. I'm a work in progress. But here's the thing. I've been reading and studying and trying to just be a better mom. A mom that doesn't yell as much, a mom that's more patient, a mom that's more understanding. And I've learned a lot recently. And I want to share some of the highlights of what I've learned because I can see them making a difference. I can see them making a difference for me, for Peyton, for Caden, for my other relationships too. So I have six highlights that I want to share with you today. And I hope they can make a difference for you as well. So number one, I try to always ask myself, How would I want to be treated? So here's the thing. When kids make a mistake, they automatically feel blame, shame, and guilt. It's so hard being a child, making mistakes, having more difficulty completing tasks compared to adults. Our kids do not need us to layer on more blame, shame, and guilt because that only isolates them and it leaves them feeling alone in their emotions. Emotions that they likely haven't developed the skills to really navigate on their own yet. If I had been the one to open the cupboard door and accidentally knock over the flower, if I had been the one to shatter my pottery piece into little pieces, I would feel upset enough at myself. I wouldn't need my husband, for example, to come home and yell at me for breaking it. I wouldn't need him to remind me how much I loved that piece. I wouldn't need him to add on the blame and the shame and the guilt that I already felt. I wouldn't need him to tell me that he loved that piece and that he was so sad that it was broken. I wouldn't need any of these things. But what would I want to hear if I was the one who had broken that piece of pottery? I would want to hear that it was clearly an accident and that nobody was mad. I would want to hear that I was loved more than that pottery piece, that things can be replaced. I wouldn't want to be yelled at. I wouldn't want someone to sigh or to roll their eyes. I wouldn't want someone to ask me why I was so careless. Obviously, I didn't do this on purpose. And so I try to ask myself, when a mistake is made, how would I want to be treated? And I try to model that as I respond, especially to my children. It comes down to this. If left to their own devices, children will feel blame, shame, and guilt when they make a mistake. And as their mom, I don't want to add to that. I want to respond with compassion and grace. I want to respond with curiosity. Why did they do this? What were they trying to accomplish with this action or mistake? And most of all, I want to respond with connection. I do not want them to feel alone. I want them to know that there is no mistake that they can make that will cause me to love them any less. I want them to know that they can always come talk to me about any mistake that they've made. I want them to know they will never be alone in this life, and that means they never have to be alone dealing with their emotions. And that leads me specifically to something that I was guilty of doing, and doing a lot. And that's sending my kids to their room to be alone when they were quote-unquote bad, or when they would make a red choice. We call them red choices around here. Here's what I've realized. Kids react in ways, they act out sometimes, in an attempt to achieve something, It's usually an attempt to achieve connection, to be seen, or to get something that they want. They don't yet know how to regulate those big emotions. They don't know how to respond to those big emotions. And so when they act out and I send them to the room, here's what I'm not doing. 
I'm not providing the connection that they desperately need. I'm not equipping them with the tools and the regulation skills to deal with big emotions. I'm sending them to be alone to try and figure this out on their own. And that's not how I want a parent. And so I've ditched timeouts. And instead, here's what I'm trying. If they're acting out in a way that's unacceptable, I'm telling them that I know it's hard, for example, to want to watch something on TV right now, even though your brother is watching Spider-Man. I won't allow you to hit him, I'd say. And so here's what that does. I'm holding a firm boundary, okay? I let them know that I'm going to stop them from hitting their sibling, and we are going to go to your room so that we can calm our bodies down. Because here's what's happening. They are experiencing big emotions and I need to first validate their emotions. And secondly, I need to help them to regulate them. So I'm going to remove them from the situation. And before I would have sent them to their room to be alone. Now, instead, I'm going to her room with her and I'm sitting with her. I'm providing connection, validation, yet I'm still holding a firm boundary. And it's working. (laughs) Like when I don't lose my mind and still yell and send her to her room, right? Because again, I'm a work in progress. I don't always get this right. But when I do get this right, it's working. Okay. So I want to share with you a time when I did get this right. Okay. I want to give you an example. And so we were coming inside the other day from, um, I don't, I don't remember where we had been, but we were coming inside and Peyton decided she was going to hit Caden because he wasn't getting his shoes off quite fast enough for her. So here's what I would have done before. I would have whacked her on the butt probably, told her not to hit her brother, and sent her to her room. She would have screamed, she would have resisted, and if she had gone to her room, she would have thrown an epic fit. Okay, here's what I did instead. I firmly held her arms and I said, I know you are frustrated right now because you're very tired but that's not a reason to hit your brother. I will not allow you to hit your brother. My job is to keep you both safe. And so I cannot let you hit him. We are going to go to your room so your body can calm down. I walked right behind her to her room. And when we got in there, she threw herself on the floor and started crying. And I just sat down beside her and I just asked her, Peyton, do you want to sit on my lap? She immediately stopped crying. I think she was shocked at my response, but she crawled into my lap. She pulled herself together and she decided that she wanted to go tell Caden that she was sorry. And here I am left completely dumbfounded that this actually happened. This actually worked. I'm dumbfounded that we avoided an epic meltdown. But here's the thing. She felt seen and she felt heard. She understood that she crossed a boundary that I would not tolerate. And she decided to apologize without me forcing her to do so. Because if I had forced her, it wouldn't have been sincere anyway. Mind blown. Okay, this is the difference between throwing on more blame, shame, and guilt compared to responding with compassion and grace and curiosity and connection while still holding on to a firm boundary that, in this case, hitting is not tolerated. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, I set clear expectations and I give choices. So let me paint, let me paint a before picture, okay? I would come into the living room in the middle of a TV show that they were watching as they were eating breakfast and tell them it was time right now to get up and get dressed so that we wouldn't be late for school. 
And they would respond by sliding their little bodies off the couch in protest, telling me flat out no sometimes, and even trying to hide the remote so that I couldn't turn the TV off myself. Okay, going back to my first point, how would I want to be treated? I can tell you that I wouldn't want someone to come and interrupt a show that I was watching while I was eating my breakfast and try to tell me what to do. I would likely respond in a very similar fashion as they did, maybe not completely sliding off the couch, but even so. And so I try to set clear expectations. Now, here's how it looks. Here's how I try to operate in the mornings now. 15 minutes before I need them to get ready, I say something like, guys, okay, in 15 minutes, it's going to be time to turn off the TV. You can go get ready now and you can get dressed while you watch TV. Or if you choose not to, in 15 minutes, the TV is going to be turned off and you'll have to get ready rather quickly. And let me tell you what happens. Nine times out of 10, when I come back 15 minutes later, they are both dressed. There's no fight. I'm not pushing them out the door late again. So as adults, I think that we forget how much autonomy that we have and how much autonomy our kids do not have. We make so many decisions for them day in and day out from what their options are for dinner to their bedtime to what they're going to do on the weekends. And so if I can set clear expectations for them, if I can give them choices, choices that I'm satisfied with, right? Both choices I'm going to be happy with, then I'm allowing them to feel as if they have more autonomy, something all children crave. And I'm teaching them about making good decisions. Okay, number three, I try to cultivate an environment where they form positive identities and where they learn to trust themselves, their feelings, and their intuition. Here's what I've learned. Kids look to us, the adults, for validation. They internalize the things that we say to them. I am guilty of saying, stop being so bad. But here's what my kids hear when I say that. They hear, I am a bad kid. Now, that's not what I meant but that's their likely interpretation. And if I say this too many times, they are going to start to form an identity around being a bad kid. Definitely not what I want for them and 100% not something I want them to form as an identity because of how I treated them and the things that I said to them. And so I'm trying to remove things like that from my vocabulary altogether. Here's the other thing I learned that hit me like a ton of bricks. Before, when my kids would feel an emotion that I thought wasn't warranted, I would tell them to stop feeling that way, stop reacting that way. Let me give you a couple of examples. If my daughter would cry because she didn't get her way, I would say something like, stop crying, there's nothing wrong. It's not even a big deal that, I don't know, for example, your brother gets to go to town with your dad. Stop right now or go to your room. Here's what I was ultimately saying to my daughter. You don't know how you are feeling. What you are upset about is not a big deal, and so you must not be a very good judge of the situation. Stop crying, which is her expressing how she's feeling, right, and not being able to regulate her emotions. So stop crying or go be alone with your big emotions. Ugh, ouch, right? Now, instead, I'm focusing on creating an environment where she trusts herself and her feelings. Okay, so... Here's how I'm trying to respond to that same situation. Peyton, I know it must be hard to not be able to go into town with your dad when Caden gets to go. That's so hard. 
So this teaches her that her feelings are valid, number one, and that it's okay to feel how she's feeling. Let me share another example. My son is more reserved and sometimes he gets into situations where he doesn't want to like immediately interact or immediately go play. Now, before I would like give him a little nudge, push him to go play with his friends. And that would cause him to like hang on to my leg even tighter to resist going to play. Now, here's how I'm trying to respond to that same situation. Caden, only you know how you feel. I can tell that something doesn't feel right for you and that you're not ready to go play. That's okay. You'll know when you're ready. And so that response is teaching him that his gut, his intuition, his feelings, they're all valid and that he is reading his feelings and responding to them correctly. So like, here's the deal. When he's 16 and he's at a party and other friends are doing something that he's not comfortable with, I want him to listen to and respond to his gut and his intuition. So in line with this, I ultimately, here's what I want. I want my children to feel seen and heard and to learn to be comfortable in their own bodies in their own feelings, and I want them to ultimately trust themselves to make the decisions that are right for them. So number four, I try to make consequences that are congruent with the actions. So here's the deal. I am 100% guilty of yelling at my kids something like, if you don't stop fighting with each other right now, you are not going to go camping this weekend. (laughs) Or If you don't stop fighting over that toy, I'm going to throw away every single toy in this room. Okay, so here's the reality. I'm probably not going to cancel their camping trip. And I'm not going to throw away all of their toys, right? Like I'm blowing smoke. And here's the bigger thing. (laughs) They absolutely know that. So my threats mean absolutely nothing to them. And therefore, they just keep doing whatever it is that they were doing which leads me to become even more frustrated to which I respond by going into full out crazy mode, right? My head starts to spin, my eyes turn into fire, right? And then they start to listen, kind of. But that's not how I want to parent. I don't want to lose my mind on the regular. Those are not the memories I want my kids to have of their childhood. Mommy's head spinning in circles and fire shooting out of her eyes. And so I'm really working on making sure that the consequences of red choices match the offense. So instead of threatening to cancel their camping trip and yelling at them to quit fighting, right? Like, here's what I'm saying. My job is to keep you safe. And so I won't allow you to hit each other. I'm going to sit you on the couch, Caden, Peyton, you're going to sit on the other couch so you both can calm your bodies down. And then I sit down with them. Because as I talked about already, I don't want to leave them alone to navigate their big feelings. I want to model for them how to navigate those big feelings. And here's another thing that I've learned that's been pretty eye-opening. They are fighting because they can't regulate their big emotions. And so those emotions explode out of their little bodies by way of hitting each other. And when I lose my mind and I yell, it sends a message to them that their big emotions are scary to me too that their emotions are big enough that even mommy can't manage them. Like how scary is that for a child? They look to us to help them to navigate and to regulate their emotions. We need to do that for them instead of adding to the chaos. Okay, number five. I'm learning that the things that trigger me the most are the things that I need to look within myself to fix. So the one thing that triggers me most is when my daughter starts to roll her eyes at me and yell at me, like the nerve of that little girl, right? 
this sends me into a tailspin. And I'm not proud to admit, but we would end up in a shouting match, right? Like, yeah, me, an adult, shouting match with a five-year-old. But then I heard this, okay? I heard that the things that trigger you the most, they trigger you because of something inside of yourself, not because of the other person's action. And so I thought about that and I thought about it and I thought about it some more. And here's what I realized. That girl is exactly like me. And although I love that, it's so cool to have a little mini me. But when she acts just like me, specifically like displaying my less than ideal qualities, it's very triggering. And so here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to work on being the best version of me, the best parent I can be. I'm trying to catch myself before I yell and before I roll my eyes, because that's how I'm going to help her to manage her own emotions better by managing mine. And this leads me to the last point that I want to highlight. It's never too late to repair. Sometimes I start to think that it's too late. Like I've already imprinted so much upon my children. And and when their brains were wiring themselves during the most crucial time of development, I yelled too much. I sent them to their room to be alone in their emotions too many times. I said they were being bad too many times. And I start to wonder if I've damaged their identities and wired their brains to not be as happy or as successful or as prepared to face life as possible. Yeah, I fear this even though they're only five. But here's what I also know. Here's what I'm learning. I'm learning that it's never too late to repair. I'm not perfect. Guys, I'm a work in progress. So these things that I've shared with you, they're highlights of things that I'm learning and that are working, but I'm not perfect. And so I still yell even though I'm trying really hard not to, I do. But when I do, I'm also apologizing. I'm reminding them that it's never their fault when mommy yells, that I was overwhelmed with big emotions too, and I didn't handle them very well. And so I apologize. The other thing that I know is this. Our brains are capable of rewiring. So instead of worrying about how I may have helped their little brains to wire in ways that won't serve them best in life, instead of focusing on that, I focus on the fact that we can rewire our brains, our thoughts, our beliefs, our identities. I can do my best now to set them up to be the happiest, best versions of themselves as they grow up. And so if you're listening to this podcast, then it tells me that you're relating to what I'm talking about. You're probably a parent, a parent who isn't perfect. None of us are. But if you're still listening to this, it also tells me that you're a parent who wants to change, who wants to be the best version of yourself too. And so I want to recommend this book. Okay. It's called Good Inside by Becky Kennedy. And it's been one of the best parenting books I've ever read. And I want to leave you with this. I was reading this book and Peyton came up to me and she said um, she wanted to know what I was reading. And so I told her and she wanted to know what it was about. And so I just told her, it's teaching me to be the best mommy that I can be. And without skipping a beat, that girl said, she said, you don't need to read that book. You're already the best mommy. And so I share that with you, not to brag. I share that with you because I want you to know that God gave you to your kids for a reason. And mama, your kids think you are the best mommy in the world. Even if you yell too much, even if you lose your mind sometimes, Even if you have mom guilt to the high hills, you are the best mommy already. Thank you so much for hanging out with me in this episode. I hope this has helped you. This might be one you want to go back and listen to again, but definitely go read the book. 
I will link the book in the show notes as well. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mompreneur Coach Podcast. Before you go, I'd love to hear from you. So can you do me a favor? If you haven't already, could you drop me a five-star review? Because that is the best way for us to get this podcast out to other mompreneurs just like you who need to hear this message as well. You can also share your mega takeaways on social media and in your stories. Just tag me at Amanda Masterson Coaching. I so appreciate every single review. So until next time. Thank you.